electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. And right now on Fast, stocks hammer during a brutal Friday sell-off after the Fed chair forcefully tells the market rates are headed higher and they're going to stay there until inflation is truly under control. Should investors brace for a wave of selling in September? Plus, crashing the consumer, crushing the consumer can be both. Will the Fed's hiking bonanza put the brakes on the two-year shopping spree for everything from electronics to cars to yoga pants? We'll dig into the retail wreckage. And later, the crude conundrum. A slowing economy should push energy prices lower. But right now, the charts are telling a different story. We'll go inside the numbers straight ahead. I'm Courtney Reagan in this evening for Melissa Lee. This is Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site. On the desk tonight, Tim Seymour, Bono and Eisen, and Steve Grasso. Gentlemen, it's great to be here with you on a really important day for the markets and for investors. Help us make sense of it all, Tim. I mean, yes, we heard from Jerome Powell, hawkish stance. We are going to keep things in a certain way for a certain period of time. And before we get to you, I just want to go through sort of what we saw on Wall Street, Tim, because I'm going to ask you to talk us through the reasoning. But we started with this deep sea of red on Wall Street today. We saw the S&P 500. We saw the Dow. We saw the Nasdaq really all plunge. The Nasdaq composite down about 4%. So, Tim, what was really the reason behind all of this? I mean, truly, I'm not trying to be glib. I'm thinking about it. We heard the chairman say, look, Things that we've done so far more or less haven't been working. we got to stick with the plan until we really see it start to pay off. Why did that surprise us so much? Well, look, the, the, the plan is, is to be at this longer than the market maybe was expecting. And it's not even necessarily the absolute uh, level of interest rates, where the neutral rate is, but it's, it's the duration of how long the Fed is going to be fighting. Uh, eliciting Paul Volcker. Uh, all of the, the, the rhetoric that we had even going into the meeting from other Fed officials, it's very clear. And I, I'll, I'll say this for for federal, uh, excuse me, Fed Powell is probably the most criticized Fed hey, chairman we've had in terms of his communication with markets. And that's something that I actually think um, he was crystal clear on today. So, um, you know, bottom line here is we, we digested a much more hawkish Fed than I think the market wanted to pay attention to. The good news for equities is that the bond market was relatively well contained here. Um, but without question, the expectation that the Fed is data dependent, which means uh, they don't have a plan in mind. They are going to follow the course of where the data leads them. Steve, why, Steve Grasso, why did we see things sort of accelerate loss-wise into the close when really the news came out in the morning? Did, did that wall of worry just get higher to climb as the day went forward? Is it about going into the weekend? Is it about waiting for sort of the Monday morning quarterback notes? Why, why did we not sort of put a stop into the selling? Yeah, I think all of that, I think, is, uh, could be accurate. Uh, no one wants to go home long on, on a Friday. If you're weak on a Friday court, you don't want to go home long and, and risk those Saturday, that Saturday and Sunday before you get back at it on Monday. So you want, you want to just cut your losses or just head yourself. So I think okay. that's what you saw today. But to Tim's point, we are going to see, and Mike Santoli said this at the end of the show, 
we're going to see another jobs data data point. We're going to see another CPI. And mm -hmm. the, the problem with why the, the, the Fed surprised the market today is that instead of looking for a plateau where the Fed uh, and all the representatives around the reserve are saying that they're going to just stay at a certain rate, it, not indefinitely, but most of 2000, uh, 2023. So people were looking for a pivot or at least an end to it where you could say, okay, we're going to get softer if we see X, Y, or Z. Okay. What they're saying now is it doesn't matter what it, what it looks like. They're going to plateau the rate versus pivot. Yeah, and Bono, it did seem like Powell, of course, is, is worried about the implications of what, of what easing, easing too soon could potentially do to the market. What did you read from what the chairman said today and the market's reaction afterwards? You know, I think, um, I think Chairman Powell was just very steadfast in making sure that he communicated clearly to the market exactly what his intentions were. We've debated on and off about whether or not we're at peak inflation, whether or not they're kind of setting themselves up to pivot. And I think, you know, the, the last Fed minutes when they mentioned perhaps doing a bit too much tightening, the read there was that, okay, perhaps we're one step closer to actually pivoting. And I think today we took the exact opposite read, which is them saying, to Steve's point, we are going to reach a level and we are going to sustain that level. Now, given that we're willing to do that, we want to make sure that we don't over tighten too quickly because we're not looking to pivot. We are looking to stay and plateau at a sustained level. And I think that that right there was was um, frankly one of the big pivots again, not to be glib, that that was really there. I would also say just kind of some of the rhetoric that was used today, I think was, you know, it was a bit more bearish. We used terms like pain. He talked about the, uh, you know, about um, employment and, and, and wages. He talked about households and businesses and the pain that would be there. He also said that we're going to need to be here for a sustained <laughs> level and so or for, for a sustained period. So when we're really making the decision between is it growth or is it tamping down inflation, I think he removed Removed any shadow of a doubt that inflation is first, second, and third priority. And if there are going to be some negative effects to doing so, he's willing to kind of push through that. Let's go ahead and bring in CNBC senior economics reporter Steve Leisman for all the headlines. He joins us from Jackson Hole, perhaps the most important man of the day next to Jerome Powell. Steve, thanks so much for being here with us. I know you've had a really full day, but there's no one better to talk to than you about all of this. And Bono and Bray brought up a great point with some of the words, and words mean everything, especially when they come out of the chairman's mouth. Words like pain. How much pain? economically is chair powell willing to take on to keep inflation lower what level of joblessness what level of depressed economic growth would be okay i, I don't think we know it's something we're going to have to figure out over time but what is i think clear is uh a couple weeks ago at the press conference i asked chair powell how a recession would change your policy if at all and he really didn't answer the question i asked it again he didn't answer it he kind of answered it today, and he said at least some level of pain, some level of contraction of the economy, some level of a rise in unemployment would not uh, dissuade the Federal Reserve from either hiking rates, depending upon where it was, or keeping them at a certain level. Courtney, I got to say I'm, I'm a little angry. I'm angry at the market today. I'm angry at maybe Tim, maybe Bonowin, maybe Grasso. <laughs> I mean, I don't mean them specifically, obviously, but what were you guys thinking? 
I mean, how much Fed talk about higher for longer? How many times did the Fed have to say, we are not going to raise rates only to cut them immediately? It was like the, the Fed said blue and the market said no yellow. And the Fed mm -hmm. said blue and the market said yellow. And then we had three guys here, Bostic and Esther George um, and Patrick Harker. Harker and Bostic, they're not, they're not hawks. These are some of the most dovish people you're out there telling me three and a half, four percent. No uh, no uh, raise and then cut. We're going to hike and hold. And we kept saying it. I led my story this morning with you can expect Powell to say higher for longer. And the market, I don't know. Who are these guys that went in long? I'm just a little angry that folks didn't uh, uh, protect themselves today and hear what people were saying and decided to hear their own story or what they wanted to hear from, from the Fed, even though the Fed wasn't saying it. Well, Steve, you know, but the, this is a market that's been inured on the Fed always being there for him. And, and frankly, I, I brought up at the top of the show, uh, I commend Powell on being very clear, yeah. but this is a guy that's been very much criticized for sending mixed messages. So um, the, the pain part of this, my question to you, though, comes from we, we didn't really talk about the job market and, and Tim, going Tim, after. I'm not, uh, Tim, I'm not mad mainstream. at you. Tim, just to be clear, I'm not mad at you. I, Tim, I'm not mad at you, just to be clear. I, I appreciate that because we, we, go, we okay. go too far back, Steve. But, but the pain on Main Street. And this yeah, is why this right. is an important, why it's an important day and, and why I think there's a lot of anxiety. I, I, I think there needs to be a focus on the job market. That's going to be painful. That's where the term pain comes in. We had a PCE number that came in today that actually showed that labor income is actually growing and, and that you actually have strength, at least in one of the most uh, inflationary underlying and stickiest parts of the economy. Yeah, and, and, and that's important. Remember, Powell's message so far has been we can kind of get away with this perhaps by reducing job openings, not necessarily actual jobs. And he's kind of saying, you know, we may have to reduce actual jobs here. There is some question, Tim, about how much jobs or unemployment has to rise in order to solve the inflation problem. I have this crazy idea that putting people back to work may help solve the inflation problem, in part because so many industries are still short of workers, even while the economy is larger. But be that as it may, uh, what, what, what uh, the Fed chair is saying a couple ways to think about this. You remember that old phrase, um, you know, the beatings will continue till morale improves. Well, the rate hikes are going to continue until inflation uh, um, improves. And, and I think Powell thought, I guess correctly, that there was some misunderstanding about where he stood. Um, and, and, you know, go, go back to that press conference. I'll tell you a little inside uh, uh, reporting story, which is that when the press conference was over and the reporters who were in the room looked at the market, and saw that it was up, I forget how many points, four or 500 points, and there's this talk about pivot. We all turned ourselves and say, what did they hear that we didn't hear? We didn't hear the pivot back then. There was this comment, and by the way, he said it again, that you know, uh, rate, it may be appropriate at some time to slow the pace of rate increases. Well, of course, that's really obvious. It really was never any doubt about that. They may do 75, they're going to go down to 50, they're going to go down to 25. But that doesn't mean they're going to stop the rate hikes. It also doesn't mean they're going to start cutting as soon as they hit a peak rate. That's true. At some point, it may happen. It just may be years down the road. Steve, before we let you go, I know you're very busy right. and you've got a special to prepare for here coming up. And forgive me if this seems like kind of a sophomore question, but why is PCE such an important data point? Removing food and energy Aren't those two pretty important pieces of inflation, things we can't avoid as consumers? And if we're paying more for that, then my gosh, it's going to depress what we have available to spend on other things. Why do we put so much emphasis on an ex-food and energy number? Courtney, never any sophomore questions for you. Only graduate level, it seems to me. And that's a good question. Let me tell you a couple of things. First of all, uh, what they do is they go back. There's research that shows 
Um, when you get rid of some of the noisy parts of the data, and there are different ways of doing this, removing food and energy is one way to do it, is that you have a better guide for guiding policy. If something goes like this every month or every couple months, um, it's not a really good way to set policy, which as you know, uh, according to the saying, has a long and variable lag. So it may be up one month, down month. So you try to remove some of the noise. There's other ways to do that. For example, there's a trim mean that takes out whatever is really high or really low in a month. So that's one aspect of it. Mm. The other aspect of it is the PCE rather than the CPI has a different sort of configuration that is a little more stable and, and less up and down than the, than the CPI. So that's why they go with the PCE, certain configurations and weightings in there that the Fed has tended to prefer more. Um, the, the question you ask yourself is, okay, if oil is up you know, to 100 bucks one month and down, down to 50 another month, is, should you be changing policy as a result of that? And the answer over time, according to the research about the best way to set policy, is no, you want to look at the core. And by the way, one other quick thing is that's the thing that really spooked the Fed. It wasn't the high energy and food prices. It was when it bled into the core. And we talked to George the other day. She said, you know, there's this that's down and that's, the, and that's down, but it seems to be still widespread and not until she sees several months of declining inflation uh, will she be confident that it, maybe they can reverse policy or at least stop the, uh, uh, the, big, the big rate hikes. Perfect. I knew you had an answer for me. I feel better. I feel like I understand it more. Steve, thank you so much. Thanks for spending time with us. We will Pleasure. see you at the top of the hour sure. on the CNBC special, The Fed Factor. But while I have the uh, folks still with me here, gentlemen, let's trade this. Uh, Steve, since uh, Mr. Leesman took a, a little bit of a poke at you as a trader, I'm going to let you give a yeah. reaction here uh, for what he had to say. Yeah, I don't think you took a poke at me, but but I, I get I get what you're saying. I think what what uh, what he's missing, though, is that traders act on whatever the market gives them that day around their core positions. So when and, and by the way, I heard Harker say uh, basically that they'll stay at a certain level, three and a half percent, and then they'll sit and wait to see if inflation drops and then they can be more accommodative. So I didn't hear that they're just going to stay that way and be robotic or else they're running on a script and not, not running on data. Once again, I'll just tie it up with this court. No one's talking about quantitative tightening again. We're doubling in September. There's going to be 100 billion rolling off. So that's that's tightening as well. So I think we'll see 75 basis points in September, probably create a little more volatility in the markets. And then I think you're going to see a little bit softer or not a pivot, but they'll stay the course. And I think ahead of those elections or at the elections, we're going to have a nice rally going into year end. All right. I hear you. I think Jay Powell wants us to stop saying pivot. I don't know if we will, but his message was a little bit clearer today. Well, coming up, we'll get another read on the strength of the consumer when Best Buy reports earnings next week. What can we expect from the electronics retailer and how should you play the stock? And later on, options action, a bank breakdown. The traders see a rough road ahead for lenders and are laying out a way to hedge against a future drop. More Fast Money, though, right after this. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range, and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. 
At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to Fast Money. Retail not immune from the market sell-off today. The XRT ETF sinking 3.5%, now down 5.5% this week. Dollar Tree, VF Corp, and PVH, just some of the retail names that led the S&P lower. Dollar Tree down by almost 7%. And check out Best Buy losing 5% ahead of the company's earnings report on Tuesday after slashing outlook last month on weakening demand. Best Buy now expects same-store sales for the quarter to drop 13% from last year. So have estimates come down enough or is there more pain for the consumer not priced in? Bonawan, what do you make of this? I mean, this stock, if you held it long enough and of course at the right time, which maybe we could say for a lot of things, was really a winner. It's sort of the last man standing in this consumer electronics space doing exactly what they do with the physical locations. But now that we're in this tough time for consumer discretionary spending, particularly in a category like electronics, which was called out as weak at players like Walmart and Target and, of course, Best Buy itself warning, is there an entry point here or simply just more pain ahead for Best Buy? You know what? Prior to the day, I would have likely said, against my better judgment, you probably might see a flip in consumer sentiment. because there's just been so much that's been taken out of the stock. As you mentioned, they kind of came out and guide lo- guided lower. They mentioned lower uh, declining same store sales. They, they, they did a very good job in terms of trying to get out and, and, and messaging to the investor base. I think now, though, given that they haven't lagged as many as some of the others, this might be actually a place where people look to shore up capital and reduce exposure ahead of what looks like a more painful uh, back half of the year. And when you look at what they're really into, I I really think of inventories, right? And the level at which they're holding inventories, this heightened price point. If there's any write downs there or they're having to kind of make promotionals to move inventory, I think all those things could lead to a bit more pain. So I'm with you. I tend to be a bit more cautious here going into this print. Tim, you know, fundamentals are one thing, of course, macroeconomic pressures, but also the way a company is run is really important. And Best Buy's management team has long been pretty respected for the way that they run the operation. Give them any credit there. Is there an attractive entry point for you here now? Well, I I, I love what they have done with their total tech offering and their attempts to make there be some type of a subscription service. I I, as a consumer, I'm I'm very happy Best Buy is still in business. I I think it's it's a it's a great consumer experience. Uh, Their staff knows what they're doing. But, um, you know, that guide down to me is the first of, uh, I think, more bad news to come. I think they were the one of the ultimate pulled forward stories Uh, when we listen to Target, but specifically Walmart talk about a merchandise shift. Uh, you know, a lot of what Best Buy sells, Walmart sells, and a lot of that shift, uh, I think we're going to see. I, I think it's going to be a great time to buy uh, a new 70-inch TV at, at, uh, in the holiday season. I think they're going to be discounting significantly. Uh, stock's never expensive. Stock definitely has uh, uh, been resilient at times. But again, if you look at some and listen to Dollar Tree and, and some of the impact on their gross margins and what we heard over the last couple of days, and this, this is a stock that had been significantly outperforming, not just uh, retail, but the market itself. And I, I think you've got a little bit more pain ahead. Okay. Well, coming up, it was a rough day and week for the markets. So what should be your next move come Monday morning? The traders lay out their playbooks 
for the week ahead. You're watching Fast Money live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. If you're just joining us, markets in freefall on Wall Street today after Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell said the central bank won't back off its fight against rapid inflation. So with more than a thousand points shaved off the Dow today, how do you position yourself for Monday? Steve, did you make any moves here today or what would you expect to be doing first thing Monday morning? Uh, well, I, I didn't make any moves today, and I didn't want to get sucked in. I was actually going to make a few sales on things that I still have profits in, and I wanted to buy some of the uh, Chinese-related names uh, due to that regulatory ruling that we just saw. But if, let me give you a, more of a macro view, Court. So if you look at the low, we, we closed on the lows today. So you want to see them opening up. You don't want to see them come out too strong. You want to see them a little bit weak around the opening and buy some sort of a dip. And then you want to look at what happened today. So the 50 day is 39.96 in the S&P cash. Keep it, keep a, an eye on that level. If we break that level, then we could go much lower. But I would look at today's low. So 40.57 in the cash in the S&P and use that as your benchmarks. Tim, how about you? What's your advice for Monday morning for people that look at the market today and feel a little spooked. It was a scary day. And what I, I, I say often during days like this is don't cut your flowers and keep your weeds. I, I think people tend to want to throw out companies uh, and be defensive. And they're the ones that have outperformed on the way down. I would look at your portfolio and assess where the duration in the portfolio is. But what does that mean in real terms? Uh, understand where higher rates for longer uh, are going to be something that, that I think you may want to be lightening up some exposure. I do think high multiple tech is under particular pressure. I, I would be looking for your places to be owning your Googles and your Amazon and the chart set up interesting uh, about five to ten percent lower oh wow and information technology that IT sector was definitely the biggest laggard when we're looking at the sectors down more than four yep. percent we know the Nasdaq was the last one I went quickly uh, get Bonowin's take what would your advice for traders be come Monday morning um, I actually think the playbook's a bit different here. So I think, you know, the, the, the consensus has really been lower and the pain trend has been higher, which is why I think we've seen a lot of purchasing of laggards as traders and investors essentially try to right size their returns. I would stay away from looking to buy the lag, the dip on laggards that we saw uh, today. I would, I would be, you know, a bit more cautious there. Your Soxes, your SMHs, your ARKK, those are the names that I think I would wait and see on rather than looking to buy that dip. Okay, it's already time for the final trade. Today's show just flew by. Let's go around the horn and get started with Steve Grasso. So as I alluded to, I, I would be a buyer of Alibaba. The U.S. and China have finally reached some sort of an agreement on accounting that takes the cloud uh, over those Chinese-related stocks from being delisted. Court's not completely gone, but it seems like it's lifted. Alibaba, bye. Okay, Bono and Eisen, what's your final trade? ARKK, I think it's become emblematic of high uh, multiple growth. I would steer clear of that right now. Okay, and Tim, final trade for you on this Friday. Yeah, Schlumberger, uh, if you look at the debt levels in the E&P space, they're, they're, this is a great opportunity for SOB. Okay, gentlemen, thank you for joining us. That does do it for us on Fast Money this evening, but don't go anywhere because Options Action is coming up next. What's on the horizon for financial markets? 
At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager.